0: I had been working here a lot. I was working with a director who lives here and doing a lot of commuting. And my daughter and my son lived with me one summer when Mm -hmm. I was out here working. And my daughter just really loved it here. And she was going to start sophomore year of high school. Mm. And we decided it would be a really good idea for her to just fresh start, new school. And she got into an amazing school here. So she and I moved here.
1: You were in Los Angeles before?
0: Yeah. Yeah, in L.A.
1: Well, that seems a little more conducive to the script writing life. Well, you know, it's all fine.
0: I yeah. the amount of times I actually go to a meeting that I where I have to be in LA a couple times a year maybe, yeah. you know. It's really even when I lived there I
1: never had to really be there. So, are you going in and pitching? No.
0: I don't I haven't really pitched in a long time, but well, like I have a meeting in a few weeks where yeah. I'm going to go in. They've read something I've written. People are interested. I'm going to go in with the director and the producer and just have a meeting with them. So I'm going to fly in for a few hours and then uh, probably come right back.
1: Do you sit in a room with a couple of executives and basically walk them through your thinking?
0: Well, this is a relatively unusual Mm. project. It's long. I spent a long time on it. I wrote it on spec, so it's all there. It's a whole season of a show. So we're going to meet and have have a conversation and you know, kind of discuss what I see for it and stuff. But for the most part, my work seems to, you know, either come to me through someone or I could drum it up myself. And I rarely have to go into a room to try to sell it or myself.
1: Is that a result of just having been at it for as long as you have?
0: Yeah, I'm 57 years old.
1: <laughs> if people don't... <laughs> yeah, it might be it might be time to like rethink your life. If, uh... <laughs>
0: I mean, it's hard, man. Going in and pitching is really a hard thing to do anyway. And I'm glad I managed to avoid it for the most part. I think I've pitched probably to try to get a job a couple times in my life, maybe. Maybe on like two projects where I've gone in and talked about something. Yeah. For the most part, I, I so hate that, that I've even started to talk about something and then just went off and wrote it for nine months and then came back. I just don't like trying to sell myself
1: what's difficult about it are they just ready to kind of pick it apart
0: there's a whole stance when you're pitching you know it's sort of well I'll do it for you but since it's a podcast yeah we'll see but imagine me you mean like a physical stance there's a physical stance that the others in the room my my arms are folded I'm leaning back in the chair everything about that attitude you is I don't like,
1: I don't like walking this, into that. This is similar to every indie rock band I talk to. Right. <laughs> when they play the shows. Right. It's always like that, that front row of dudes just standing there with their arms crossed. Yeah. Like, win me over. Well, the worst part when you go to a concert yeah. is industry crowd. Like,
0: if I ever get tickets to see a show through my agents and I'm sitting with a bunch of music industry people, they're always the worst audience sitting there on their phones talking to each other. Oh, I hate that. When you're going to pitch something. Yeah. I just don't like that, you know? I mean, you you often have to talk about your work. You have to go in and talk about, like, like I'm going in in a couple weeks to talk about this thing that Mm -hmm. I've already written. A series. Yeah. And just going to have a conversation about it to just make sure that everyone's seeing the same thing. But that's different than going in to try to wow people about something. It's just not my skill. And I've often found that, you know, selling an idea and writing something well are different skills and... I don't think they necessarily go hand in hand anyway. So, look, there are certain things, and I've talked about this before, about pitching that I've learned Mm. over the years, you know, because I began as a pretty terrible pitcher. And now when I'm talking about pitching, I'm not talking about trying to sell my idea. Now I'm talking about just talking about something I care about. In a room, discussing something. Let's say it's, you know, it's a meeting and it's about a rewrite of something or trying to express myself on something i really care about. I mean, there are ways to talk about stuff
1: that are more successful than other ways.
0: I'm not saying you don't I don't have to go in and actually have conversations cuz they do. So,
1: but i assume if you're really passionate about something, it's at least a little easier to try to sell it.
0: I've never found that to be the case. In fact, sometimes when i care even more deeply, i find i care so much that i get more self-conscious because I don't want the fate of this thing I really believe in yeah. to, you know, lie in my ability or inability to talk about it appropriately. But one of the things that I learned, I was, I was working on a movie that, um, in fact, actually, ironically, I went in to go have a pitch about it. It was based on a book and I went into the head of the studio to talk about what I planned to do. And it was only out to me. It wasn't like it was my idea that I was trying to sell. It was a book they gave me and said, are you interested? And I went in to go talk about it. And the guy from the studio said, I didn't understand a thing, but I've read your script and I, you know, different script. Mm. I trust you can execute this, you know. But ironically, we got, so I wrote the script, got a director on it, and then we would have more meetings. And we had to talk to other people, you know, at the studio about the script. And I noticed that whenever I talked about it, it sounded terrible. And whenever
1: he talked about it, it sounded great. I, and he was doing a good job of conveying what it was. Well,
0: I was trying. It was, we're talking about the same thing. Why, when when he went into a room, did it sound like a movie I'd want to see? And when I talked about it, it sounded abstruse. And but, but you felt like he was true
1: to the source material.
0: Yeah, we're talking yeah. about the same thing. Yeah, and um, I said, "Can we go to lunch?" And I said, "What are you doing? How do you do that?" Because it <laughs> sounds great when you talk about it. And he gave me the best advice mm-hmm. about pitching I ever got. What he said was, "We all go into a room." Wanting to say what we think the other people in the room want to hear. But you can never know what's actually going on in the mind of somebody else in the room. You are, however, the world's foremost authority on what you love about something. You are the world's premier expert on your take. If all you do is focus on what you love, focus on why you're drawn to this idea, focus on what excites you about writing it or directing it or whatever... That will lead the way because it's unassailable. Nobody can take that away from you. And I found, oh my God, it just opened the door up for me because I don't have to do what I felt was like a dog and pony show. I just yeah. have to say, oh, oh, this is what I love about this. It's, it's a different than passion. It's the truthful, what whatever tr- is truthfully drawing you to it, honestly drawing you to it. And it's kind of a no-lose because the truth is if they're not going to like it, they're not going to like it. And if you pitch it and sell it, as something it's not, they're not going to like what you write. So that was a big one. That really taught me a lot.
1: Once you have a couple of box office hits under your belt, do you get a little bit more leeway from the studio?
0: Yeah, you get you know, a certain benefit of the doubt yeah. for a while. But you know, you get older, and what I used to find was when I was a new writer, you could write worse scripts that had good things in them, and you would get a lot of – the breaks would fall your way. But when you get older, you have to really deliver – at a much higher level all the time so the
1: expectations are just higher across the board and
0: they and they they aren't feeling like they're investing in you for the future they f- when you're young everyone's trying to make their relationships you're not like the 19-year-old Dominican kid
1: who's just entering the major league yeah exactly
0: and so he throws wild but he throws yeah. fast and they figure like get him in with a good pitching coach and teach him a breaking yeah. ball and you know what I mean it isn't that and that's what it was like when For the first couple of decades. And now I'm in this other part of my career. I'm doing more interesting work than I've ever done. I'm working with more interesting people Hmm. than I've ever worked with. I have less angst about everything. But at the same time, there's always an awareness that if I don't really deliver at a really high level, the
1: half-life for me is very short. You've had scripts and films that were less successful, obviously. Than Mo- others. Most
0: of them have been less successful than others.
1: Yeah. Are there immediate ramifications from that? People within the industry
0: usually know what you were responsible mm-hmm. for or not responsible for. Obviously, it's always better if you're associated with a hit. Even if for some reason you didn't have that much to do with why it was successful, it's obviously always better to be associated with it but you know i've had probably a half a dozen movies that i either haven't seen or only saw part of and that's because that I, you wrote that i wrote or that i co-wrote or partially wrote or rewrote but that's just because if i'm not the last writer on it it kind of doesn't really feel like it's mine anyway and there are a lot of those or movies where i have a credit but the director rewrote it or
1: is it painful in that case
0: yeah but you it's one of the bizarre skills needed to deal with this in a very rarefied way because I know it's a good problem to have mm-hmm. as a writer sure. hey my movie's getting made and I don't like it I get it it's <laughs> you know I don't feel sorry for myself about mm-hmm. that but you get it, it hurts it, it you get hit really hard so you have to deal with how do I what's my relationship to that what's my relationship to what other people perceive as failure and my name on it and so for me I just develop a kind of a kind of distance from the guy who has my credits on IMDb because I know which ones I really care about. I know the ones I really wrote or I wrote with a writing partner, like in Bell and Ted, me and Chris Matheson wrote everything. I don't tend to put movie posters up in my house, I don't tend to associate myself with the movies that much. But so with other movies, I just kind of, my name's on it there's a guy that wrote it who's got the same name as me or at least wrote part of it or worked on it for a few weeks. I mean, there are some movies which I worked on for a few weeks and then I was like seventh of nine writers or third of 18 writers, you know, and I got a credit. Well, I can't really take credit for that and I can't take blame for that. I just let that abstract idea of that other person with my... Same name, take the hits, and I just try to focus on the work I'm doing.
1: You can't get too precious about it because more so than just about any other art form I can think of, especially if you're not the person directing it and you're not super hands-on during the process, there's an expectation that regardless for better or for worse, it's just going to be a different product than the one you put down on paper.
0: Yes, and I want to be really clear. There are some that I have been the final word on and even directed Mm -hmm. that haven't worked, and it's my fault because I thought something would work that didn't work or I really believed in the way something was happening, but people didn't connect with it. Audiences didn't connect, or critics didn't connect, or both. So it's not like everything that doesn't work isn't my fault. The the painful stuff, it's a different kind of pain. When something that you really care about, and I've had a couple of movies like that where I really care about it, really care about it, and they just don't work, that's a kind of deep, almost existential pain. And you hit the ground, and I've seen a lot of my friends just never recover from stuff yeah. like that. So that's one type of pain. And I think having a relationship with that pain and being able to not just step up again and keep going, but learn from it and optimize realistically so you know what didn't work, why didn't it work, what am I going to do different next time, etc., and keeping the faith to keep going. I mean, that is one giant set of skills. The other one is the one we were talking about, which is, yeah, I didn't even really write it and people hate it and they hate me because of it. That's a different kind of pain. That's a sort of like, how do you just not feel shame? Yeah. How do you not, you get, it's it's more of anger, like, damn it, you know, somebody messed it up and I'm getting blamed for it. Again, that's, that happens a lot, you know? So as a screenwriter... If I were starting again I wouldn't even go into screenwriting not now not now in 2018 for sure I wouldn't but even if I was starting back when I started in early 80s you know I would probably have had the courage to I would have tried to have had the courage to do more of the writing that I think really reflects what you're actually writing theater hmm. fiction television occasional movies but I wouldn't have Dived so deep into it.
1: What's so different about it now than it was when you started?
0: TV is a writer's mm. driven medium. There are so many markets, avenues, yeah. broadcasting systems.
1: So You would do screenplays, but you would do them for television.
0: I'm doing a screenplay right now. I'm doing two screenplays yeah. right now. One is uh, with my friend Chris Matheson and something we've been working on for a decade, which we're super close. We're almost ready to get going on, which is the third bill and ted movie which we, we always get up to the altar and they say you may now kiss the bride and then we lift the veil and it's just a, a rotting skeleton that falls into dust but i think we're actually <laughs> it looks like we're going so again not wood. and then another one with a director that i really like i'm not allowed to talk about but he's a brilliant director so co-writing with him on a movie of his idea so that's a good thing because he's brilliant and It's interesting and he thinks very differently than I think. And I'll be a better writer when I'm done than when I started. So that's always good. But in particular, I'm writing with the person who's going to direct it. So I kind of, I know where it's going to end up more or less. Other than that, this thing, last thing I did was the 10 hour thing I was telling you about. That is TV where I'll be in charge. So I think there's something more invigorating about that, more life affirming, noble not noble that's probably the wrong word there's a it's more dignified as a writer you you're more ennobled i guess through the process
1: writing on spec has to be difficult because you you go into it with the expectation that it just might never get made
0: every year of my life i gamble all in on everything every year i'm 57 yeah. as they said i can honestly say i have never known where i'll be getting my check from in mm. the next even six months or a year. I've never known. And when I say all in, I mean all in.
1: It sounds like you've done like script doctoring, things like that to some degree, right? Yeah, I've done stuff where I get
0: paid for a short amount of time and you can make some pretty good money yeah. doing that. You know, when you go in to fix up a script or punch it up or restructure it. But for the most part, what you're doing is you're taking a script that's like a, you know, a two on a scale of one to 10, and you're making it three times as good. And everyone's like,
1: wow, you made it three times as good. It's a six now. (laughs) Exactly. It's
0: a six, which is still an F, you know, or a D minus. You know what I mean? The the
1: foundation of the house is still wobbly.
0: The whole thing was misguided or whatever, or you didn't have the time to really. Point is, there are those jobs. Those are few and far between. And for the most part, I mean, I've done that a few times. But for the most part, I really try to take a job where I really think I can do something interesting. Do something that other people might not be able to do or, you know, do something that only I could do maybe or do something where I know I will be really challenged or I'll be in that sweet spot, which to me is within my skill set, but outside my comfort zone, mm-hmm. just outside the comfort zone so that I am always being pulled and challenged and always feeling like a little bit scared, but also intrigued and drawn into it. So like finding that and so – You know, this thing, Mosaic, that I worked on for a few years was an incredible challenge. We were making up a form as we were going, but I had a great director I was working with. It was, couldn't have asked for a better creative experience. And I've written another thing in that form. You know, that's a big gamble because
1: it's a form that doesn't quite exist yet. So when I say all in, I mean all in. So there are some out there that, I mean, do you have any ones that you're particularly fond of that just never went anywhere? I have
0: some scripts that I really
1: love and they're very painful for different reasons
0: that they didn't get made or mm. most of the scripts that i've written that haven't been sold haven't been sold for the a good reason which is they're not good or they're almost good mm-hmm. you know or do you, do you know that when you're in the middle of it no i yeah. don't know it. you think it's good and there's this feeling that you get when you finish something that makes you think it's great but i've come to understand that that feeling is a trick and it it defeats a lot of writers because they think this thing is amazing because it really feels good to transcribe your inner world and put it into the outer world. When
1: does it dawn on you that it wasn't a success?
0: Well, one of a few things happens. One is you U-plus time. You read it again mm-hmm. a month later and you go, oh, my God. <laughs> but most of the time it happens in two ways. You give it to a group of friends and then you get feedback that you didn't quite want to hear. Or if it's a professional situation, you get called in for that meeting and notes meeting, and people are like, "Well, we, we like this, or we, you know, or we think it's gonna be good," or yeah. and you're like, "Oh my god!" And so what happens is, you have a myriad of ways to deal with it. One is, and when I see this a lot, and I know that especially early in my career, I did this a lot, which is. You're wrong. This is stupid. And all that is, is it's a reaction to your own sense of shame, disappointment, insecurity. And just
1: being young, that's just part of being young. It
0: happens with older writers too. It happens, in fact, it destroys a lot of older writers Mm. because they get bitter and cynical and they think everyone around them is an idiot because it's so hard to actually look honestly at yourself, but even harder to look honestly at your work, at what you're producing with objective eyes. So you have to figure out a way for yourself to hear criticism and have it be constructive because what you start to realize is if your script isn't working for people, it doesn't mean they're all idiots. It means something is wrong. It doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong is wrong and it doesn't mean you didn't have a great idea and it doesn't mean the script won't be good. It just means that in this timeline of this ever mutating thing which Mm -hmm. is a script in progress it wasn't where you wanted it to be yet something about it isn't working and you have to figure out how you will figure out what is worth listening to what is not what they're really talking about what's going to really help this and to me that is almost the whole game of rewriting it's Really easy to hear notes and then try to fix them fast because we feel anxiety when we hear notes, and, and our brain, which is our big tool, you know, get goes into a panic mode and and wants to, you know, doesn't like living in not knowing, not knowing space, so it wants to solve it fast, and so you want to just answer the notes really quick. But then people, that's why people get fired a lot because they end up getting a rewrite, making it different. Not understanding, I did their notes, why is it not working? Well, it's because you can't expect people's notes to actually reflect what's really wrong. That's not their job, nor is it their ability. It's a very rare person who can tell you what's bugging them about something and why. Especially when
1: you've spent the amount of time that it takes to write a script or a novel... And granted, this is coming from somebody who works on the internet, so he's used to sort of instant gratification. But by the end of it, you're like, I-, I pushed this baby out. The last thing in the world I want to deal with is like doing that all over again and having to sort of dive back into it. Like, I want to move on to the next thing.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's where, that's why, and I root for that in people because it keeps me working. Yeah. Because that's a big thing. 80% of the people, they fall away because they don't know when to quit writing or when to not quit writing. They don't, on a particular project, they can't figure out when something's actually done. More often than not, they think it's better than it is Mm -hmm. because we all do. I do. Everyone does. When you finish something, you actually think this thing is great because, as I said, I I, I think there's a chemical reaction that's happening in your body making you actually think it
1: it's the connecting of the dots and sort of the tying up of all the loose ends and realizing that you've solved all these problems at that point it gives you a lot of like an endorphin rush
0: it is and it's a real high but i you know i've been doing this for a long time now so i know that for me getting it through that to that stage is just a stage you get some feedback and then sometimes it's working better than you thought and sometimes big swaths of it are working well so then your job is, how do I isolate what's really the issues here? And for me, it's about listening for as long as you can listen and not letting your emotions overtake you. That seems to be the main issue with hearing notes is emotion because you hear notes and then panic comes over you or anxiety or fear or rage yep. or depression or, or all, know, the or all of the above. <laughs> and so, and those are all natural. So. And it's depressing because it's not what you wanted to hear. But so you have to figure out how do I make each of these things work for me? How do I make anger work for me? How do I make fear work for me? How can I make disappointment work for me? And, you know, I I kind of have tried to train myself to be non-reactive emotionally when I hear notes, but rather listen, 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 go away, try to figure out a way to even if I can summon it, be grateful for the notes under the theory that the script is just what it is at this point. It's not what I wished it would be. The reaction is not what I wanted it to be. The reaction is what the reaction is. So in a way, the notes are going to inform me how I can take this thing and make it something else now and keep it moving forward it doesn't mean do everybody's notes i got to be really really clear mm-hmm. about that it means hear it though hear it hear what they're saying and then go away and then resist the temptation to solve it all quickly but actually try to live with it for for a while and feel the notes and not try to use your left brain you know cleverness to to fix it but rather true figure out how to truly look at your script now
1: how much does working with a partner like you know chris who i know you've worked with on a number of scripts how much does that change the math
0: it's wonderful when you're getting notes because you have somebody to bounce it off you have somebody to roll your eyes with or you know (laughs) (laughs) or get mad with or you know you got a partner and that's always great in that way it also when you're trying to solve problems it's a little bit it's not as deep a kind of process with a partner you're not in the deep mulling state with a Mm -hmm. partner it's a lot of talking back and forth it's a different thing than going away and mulling when i write on my own i write from a different part of my body i think and brain Mm -hmm. than when i'm writing with a partner just because talking is different than not talking handwriting is different than typing writing on a wall is different than standing
1: and writing. Is one a more pleasurable experience than the other?
0: I think all are necessary. Yeah. At different stages. Because I I genuinely... And this is maybe a cockamamie theory, but I genuinely mm-hmm. think that you you write from all these different parts of mm-hmm. your, your brain and your body. So I will... If I can do it, I will stand in a room with a whiteboard, giant whiteboard on the wall, and try and talk through a structure with somebody. I find it very different process than typing yeah. the structure. I will never... Or I try never to read what I wrote in the same room where I wrote it or on the same device that I wrote it. I would never read a script on the computer I wrote the script on. It's a very bad idea because all the same cues go off in your head. I try to not read something in the same form even. If I can print it out, you know, that's always better for me. Handwrite my first set of notes is always better. Sometimes it's better to handwrite an outline and then type an outline. And I find that each... Different modality activates different parts of the brain in different ways. If you've been having problems, like a lot of writers sit in one desk in one space and they, they're struggling. They're in a maze. It feels like they're in a labyrinth or a maze. I would say get out of your space. Get out of your yeah. habits. Try a different way of manipulating the material. You know, try talking about it to somebody or try handwriting for a little while or If you're a handwriter, try typing. Or get a whiteboard and try writing it while standing up. Try typing while standing up. Get a standing desk for a while. It's actually fascinating how these little things can actually break through. Is it getting out of your comfort zone? No, it's about – well, it's important to get out of your comfort zone. But again, the right ratio of out of your comfort zone. But no, it's about not letting yourself succumb to the same mental patterns Mm. That you were in while you were writing it, mm-hmm. which is the thing that got you into the mess. Because it's like you can't fix a hammer with a broken hammer, or yeah. whatever it is. You know, you can't fix the
1: broken hammer with the hammer itself. Yeah.
0: You know, we we create these. I'm thinking neural pathways of some kind when we're writing stories.
1: And it's that influenced by external stimuli of just where you're sitting and what room you're in.
0: It all adds to it. Yeah. I, I read something once where someone was talking about how. Because in, in Mosaic, which is one of the characters in Mosaic, which is this HBO thing that I was talking about, he's having all these images of him self-committing a crime and he, he can't remember anymore what really happened and didn't. And he doesn't know whether he's imagining these things because people have told him so many times or if he's actually remembering. And what I was reading about was... Where if we tell ourselves certain stories over and over in our head, they become encoded like memory is encoded. And writing is just telling yourself stories, and so I think you start to encode those stories almost as memory, and so it becomes very hard to break out of that path when you're tr- when you're trying to understand what's working and not working. That's it's why, like
1: cemented as fact in your in, brain. in your
0: brain. It, it just feels like a yeah. a. Like it's of a whole, it's kind of hardwired now all of a sudden, like a circuit board that becomes a chip or something. And so talking about it can wake you from that Mm -hmm. dream state or doing something different can just kind of open it up. I, I find honestly getting feedback is one of the best ways, getting a handful of people to read something. They don't even sometimes have to respond to me. I can just once I even just hand it to them everything changes and I go, oh crap, I know what's wrong with it. I shouldn't have given it out because I know it's not working. But again, all of this, the meta point is truly, to me, writing is not about what happens on page 10 and on page 30 and on page 45. It's not about that. It's about developing a relationship with yourself and with the work you're creating so that you can objectively assess it, so that you can Trust your emotions and use your emotions in a positive way, your excitement, your exuberance, your passion, your affection for something, and your so-called negative emotions, anger, fear. Again, you know, for me, I was talking about using that. Depression can be really useful because you can really go to a place and go and get really... If you get if you let yourself get really sad about how you're... Let's say like a, like a movie that bombs or critics hate... If you allow yourself to truly feel sad about it, first of all, you're not holding it. You're feeling what you're supposed to feel, so it's the best way to move through it. But secondly, like with a script that just doesn't work and you're like really bummed, there's something about that that allows you to start to understand what you loved about it and didn't and why. And then if you allow yourself to get angry, that anger often allows you to break the molds that you've created for yourself with the script and, and like punch through some of the
1: Structure that's there. The problem though is, is it's really easy to get stuck in depression. If you if you wade too deep into those waters, it's 100%. hard to get out.
0: And that's true, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. Well, again, more people fall off the path that way. Which is, they get the notes. It's fucking painful.
1: I feel like what you're getting at. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like what you're getting at. is just sort of like be be conscious of these emotions. Feel like, them. Be aware that you're experiencing them as you're experiencing them.
0: Feel them consciously. Don't avoid them. Lean into them. Yeah. Don't indulge yourself yeah. in them. Lean, yeah.
1: but don't fall.
0: Yeah, lean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lean, but don't fall. Face them. Face them, and understand that they're just—they're just, you know, sensations like anything mm-hmm. else. You know, it's—I um, don't want to get all New Agey. I'm not really a New Agey person, although I—you got a little bit of that in you. Yeah. No, I mean, I like to meditate. Yeah. I find that really helpful, but I don't believe in all, you know, woo-woo stuff. Is that I like meditation because of its absolute practical, yeah. tactical application. Yeah. which is life is better with it. So what is the drawback? You need less sleep, you can do better work, you're a nicer person, you're a more compassionate person, you're more present, time moves slower, you have deeper access to stuff. It, it makes yeah. me less
1: anxious when I do do it. That's the big thing for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I it, me too. I took Absolutely. like a long I was
1: on a long plane ride to China and I was like why am I not freaking out? Right. Any other but I was fine because I you know, yeah, could focus on my breathing. Everything I've sort of seen and heard and read about the first Bill and Ted movie leads me to believe that it was this, I don't know if happy accident is the right word, but really this kind of amazing fluke that happened. When something like that occurs, this totally out of left field thing, and it ends up being a hit that nobody expects, What what lessons do you draw from that?
0: How lucky you are. <laughs> You know,
1: it's sort of one of those things. It's like that thing of being an a band and having a hit record, you know, part of you wants to try to recreate that. Refine, yeah, recreate yeah. that magic.
0: I've always felt that if I only had done one movie, you know, Bill and Ted with Chris Matheson yeah. would have been the one I would have been glad to have done. Partly just because I think the message, there's stuff in the movie that I regret having put in there actually. In hindsight, for sure, but for the most oh, I have part... have to ask. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it, but for sure. But it's all everything, everything, every piece of creative success, everything that you do is kind of a happy accident. It's about your ability to kind of see it as it's moving across your radar and grab onto it. You know, I mean, we did this improv thing for years where we didn't record anything. We didn't have audiences. We just, five of us in a room... Like once a week, we used to just work out to work out. I don't remember almost any of it because we did it for years, once a week. And Bill and Ted was just one thing that came up in one of those. And Chris and I held on to it and we just started doing it as friends, just screwing around as Bill and Ted. And it's not like we were doing improv to get agents or showcase ourselves or anything like that. We were just doing it to push our creative selves to 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 make each other laugh and ourselves laugh.
1: One of you was Bill. One of you was Ted.
0: Yeah, but when we in the sketch originally, yeah. but then when we were doing it, we would just do it randomly. Neither of us okay. was specific. We were
1: not, they're they're not like manifestations of you.
0: Okay. No, no. Because in the sketch, I was Ted and he was Bill. But for the literally two years of just yeah. screwing around as Bill and Ted, we were interchangeable as it. And sometimes when we were writing it, we we would write the dialogue, and then just go, Um, Bill, Ted, Ted, uh, Bill. (laughs) And now, I mean, now that we're writing them as middle-aged men, they've got more definitive personalities, and Alex and Keanu have embodied the characters, and it's really a a partnership with Alex and Keanu now. It's not me and Chris, and hasn't been me and Chris for decades. We have a true sense that this is Bill, this is Ted, but when we first were writing them, they were two halves of one brain, and it was almost no distinction between
1: them. Why have you been banging your head for a decade trying to, come out with a third film like what keeps bringing you back to it the banging of the head has not been us mm. no but i mean i mean I, I, I guess a better way of putting it is you know in spite of the banging of heads why are we staying springing? with yeah. them
0: we always said we're not going to dip into that well unless we have something that mm. we really want to say and same with alex and canada they didn't want to play the parts just to play the parts this is the opposite of a money grab for us i've never made very much money on bill and ted i mean I haven't seen a penny from any merchandising of it our first deal i think we were paid $5000 to option the first movie and 15000 to rewrite it and then like that was split and we had to split that yeah and we we made almost no money i've never seen any royalties from it or anything like that a little bit of residuals but not much and this movie will be the same it's it's not about making money it's about putting these guys out in the world again and it's something I want to see. Like, I I would really like to see these guys inhabit those characters again. We have had all these meetings with Alex and Keanu where we're throwing ideas around starting 10 years ago. And, and they don't do Bill and Ted. And then there was one moment where Chris and I were – where the guys just became Bill and Ted briefly. And Chris and I were like, oh, my God. <laughs> we just got to see some Bill and Ted just ourselves. <laughs> it was amazing. It's because I think there's a spirit to them that I really love. And – Mostly for me, and I realize I'm setting the bar really high for myself here, Mm -hmm. but mostly for me, the fans of Bill and Ted, of any movie I've ever been involved with, and this is like Men in Black or any other movies that I've written that have had sequels, none have the fan base like Bill and Ted, even though it wasn't as worldwide a popular movie. And I just feel like the Bill and Ted fans are like family in a way one never knows whether a movie will work or not and you work as hard as you can, you work as hard on the bad ones as you do on the good ones and you try to make everything as good as you can make it and sometimes the chemistry just works and sometimes it doesn't so who knows, right, if this movie will ultimately be what we hope it is but I know the intention is there to make it that and I think the team is great the director is great Um, Dean Parisa who did Galaxy Quest Soderbergh is Steven Soderbergh is a producer on it alex and can we have you know the, assembled the same cast yeah. we've worked hard on the script we just really want to get it out there for people for the people who really want it and make it at a budget that doesn't put the onus on it having to be some giant worldwide smash and mm-hmm. therefore fulfill certain tick tick certain boxes we wanted to make it about what we wanted to make it about i hope that it'll be funny for people. I mean, it's funny. We laughed a lot writing it. So that's always a good sign. And, but you know, we're older and Bill and Ted are older. And so it's about that. And I hope, uh, yeah, it's about that. And it's about joy and it's about finding joy and it's about whatever their essential Bill and Tedness is. It's about them finding it. I mean, it's a really joyful movie, actually. I'm making it sound like it's kind of sad but there is a yeah. sadness in, in it too you're talking about the f- the first one or the new one the new one okay. the new one yeah because the first it, the movie second one is, is light the second dark. one's dark and i think the second one is dark and it reflects kind of both where chris and i were at that time and where alexy canna yeah. were at that time in particular chris and i in our friendship at that time i saw that i was
1: young when i saw that movie and there were things that movie that freaked the shit out of me. That <laughs> that mm-hmm. stuff in particular really <laughs> stuck with me.
0: <laughs> it was, got really freaky in the third act. It was yeah. like all their worst fears came back to get them. They were the, initially yeah. the antagonists of the third act. The third act, we never got right as writers. The th- we we screwed up that movie. It's two thirds, I think, really
1: works. And then a third, we, we blew. We just couldn't get the script right. Excellent adventure from what I could tell it was like people loved it right off the bat. The second one, in recent years or, you know, the past, like, couple of decades, I think has grown in people's estimations. You know, it's I, it was one of those things that wasn't what people were expecting and that in and of itself was sort of enough to make people write it off. Well,
0: there was a lot of pressure for us to do a, a rehash of the yeah. first movie. You know, mm-hmm. Bill and Ted go into fiction. Initially, it was like, what – Different historical, yeah. What ne- what's their next history test? It would have been a
1: League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we were like, we, we were like, no. And then, well, what if they go into fiction? Yeah. And they go into literature, and we're like, it's the same movie. And then I think it was Chris who said, what if we just kill them? And, <laughs> and we're like, what if we just do that? And Alex and Keanu thankfully got on board with it. Yeah.
1: Cause we just, the studio must have
0: loved that. They were not thrilled, <laughs> but that was the only movie that Alex and Keanu were willing to do, yeah. which was we're not going to do a typical sequel. Yeah. We're, we're just going to, yeah, and and I think had we had more time, I think we could have gotten the script right. We we were it was a pretty rushed experience from beginning to end. Even the shooting of it was rushed. Mm-hmm. We started shooting in January and I think we released it in June. It was crazy. So had we had we had a little more time, I think we could have made the whole movie coalesce a little better, but we didn't. And I think I think it, it suffered a little bit because of that. But the first movie was actually eviscerated by critics mm. just brutally. And then the second movie was pretty well received by really? critics. By critics. Fans were the flip. This is the sorts of things that get lost in
1: time. Yeah.
0: It held up better than in, yeah. In time you would think it, it you would think it 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 seemed to have grown, which is really a love a great thing. I'm deeply 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 grateful for that yeah because because there is a spirit to it that i appreciate you know and and i love those characters and it was really heartbreaking to see how how it was eviscerated by critics people weren't even letting their good critics review it either it was like the their third and fourth tier critics just uh, now they have a chance to go in the ring and just beat the shit out of a movie
1: and they did and there is painful. as as somebody who does criticism there is something satisfying in just ripping something the shreds yeah. as awful as it yeah but it's actually not a bad movie I've w- i watched yeah. it i hadn't watched
0: the movie in since it came out and then i had to watch it to do the blu-ray mm. and uh, i was like oh i was really pleasantly surprised you know it kind steve Herrick did a wonderful job with it and it's fairly sweet and You know, as I said, there's some stuff in it I I wish we didn't put in, but.
1: Working on this third one, is there a sense that you just kind of want to tie up the bow on that story? Or is there there this notion that this is just something that's kind of always going to be with you and that if and when the opportunity does present itself, that there's always, you can always go back there?
0: I think this is probably going to be the last Bill and Ted movie with Alex and Keanu. One of the difficulties we've had getting this movie made is the people who own the underlying material have. Had a lot of interest to do Bill and Ted reboots, new teenagers, etc. And we have had to battle against that. I mean, there was a script that was written at one point. Where I didn't read it, but I think you know it was new Bill and Ted, and I think they used a cell phone or something instead of a phone booth. I don't know. If that's what somebody told me, but. <laughs> Again, I didn't read it. How do they but... fit all those people in
1: there? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very and big Bram case. Is very tall.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's one. Of, it's well. It's a, it's one of the I the yeah s's or whatever you call. It. No, the plus. That that's it. Oh, okay. Um, it's one. It's one of these guys. Yeah, one of yeah. yours. Yeah, <laughs> Galaxy um, Note. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, um. So that was always a battle we were having, but I think in terms of I think this is the last one for yeah. with Alex and Candor because it's it's about. That's what it's about. It's the about looking at Yeah, it's them looking at their life.
1: Mm. You know? The actors are gonna have to play play their age. How old did you say you were? You told me at the beginning. Fifty seven. I mean how much of a reflection of your age is. Well the characters are fifty. Yeah.
0: And again, it's it's really light. It's absurd okay. and light and it's it's a it's ridiculous. I mean it there's really just, is there's something like the there's, movie.
1: There's something bittersweet though in like Every time, even even the best of these circumstances, when you are revisiting characters much later, there's always a there's always a sense of bittersweetness of the lives that have passed since then.
0: Yeah, well, you know, they were told when they were teenagers that they were going to be the yeah. greatest people who ever lived and they were going to write a song that was going to save <laughs> yeah. the world. And what if that didn't happen? Mm. What would you do? How would you rectify it? What if you were yeah. still trying? And that's sort of where we meet them. We laughed a ton writing it, and we tried to make a movie about that burden and about the joy of finding yourself again, be as funny and ridiculous as we can make it. And I hope that that works. You know, the first movie when we wrote it, we were in our early twenties and we were just cracking each other up at the most ridiculous stuff with no sense of anything about mortality or our time on the planet. It was just, we're we're in our early twenties and we're going to live forever. And we even joked to each other, if we have a right Bill and Ted at 30, that would be so lame. <laughs> I know. You know? And I mean, honestly, getting to dive back into those characters yeah. decades later was such a thrill. It was so thrilling. And when Chris and I started doing it, it was like, this is really a great, great, great privilege we have. Even if nothing happens with this, that we're getting to interact with these characters in this way again, just meant a lot to us. You but I hope, I hope we do get the movie out there. It looks like we will. So, And if that's the case, I hope it lives up to people's expectations, certainly my expectations. It won't be for lack of trying if it doesn't, but I feel really good about where it is right now
1: there you go the screenwriter ed solomon you can find him over at ed underscore solomon over on twitter since we've put that conversation a lot of news has come out about bill and ted 3 extremely excited to see that thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program if you like the show there are a number of ways to support us you can rate and review us on itunes or google Podcasts, or on spotify now find us on youtube anywhere where you Podcasts, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's RIYLcast.tumblr.com. That's the first and best place to get all your RIYL related information. If you have any feedback, it's RIYLcast at gmail.com. And that's about it for this week's Sister Ground because we are going to be back at just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.